29. <laughs> Thank you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, replied the invalid, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into, that, into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the son judges no one, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor, honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good 
will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Okay. I'm going to look at that passage. Um, I'm telling you already that I'm not going to really do verses 16 to 29 because we haven't got time or inclination, really. In John 20, um, verses 30 and 31, uh, it says the following. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, as he selects what he's going to put into his gospel, is bearing this in mind all the time. John is always seeking to point us to Jesus, this Jesus who's not just a mere teacher, he's not just a mere healer, miracle healer even, and he's not just a man. As it said in the verse, I think, 18, he's equal, the, the Jewish leaders recognised that he was treating himself as equal with God. This is our Jesus, who is holy man and holy divine. And this Jesus, it says, that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Jesus is all about bringing life, isn't he? Life in its fullness to each one of us. So as we look at the passage, we have this scene. It, it says... Sometime later, so we don't know when it was, but if you look at the previous chapter, certainly Jesus at that time had been in Galilee, having been at the feast of the Passover. So whether it's the feast of the Passover, we don't know, but he was certainly in Jerusalem celebrating a festival with the Jewish. And he comes to a particular place, this pool of, as uh, Joe is correcting us, Bethsaida. <laughs> or Bethesda, or whatever it says. There's, there's three names for it. Um, Bethesda, Bethsatha, and Bethsaida. <laughs> whatever name you want to use, I'm going to use Bethesda. Um, it means the house of mercy. And people poured into this place. It says there were a great number of people there. Here's a model of Jerusalem with the pool of Bethesda in the middle of it. Because I, I don't know whether you struggle with this, how does a pool have five colonnades? Which is what it said, yeah? And they didn't find this pool till about the 1800s, and it was sort of confirmed with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in fact, as you can see, it's effectively two pools. And so there is sort of four colonnades around the outside, but there is a fifth one that goes between the two pools. It's a bit like if you go to a leisure centre these days, there'll often be a main swimming pool, and there'll be a training or learning pool, won't there? You don't say, I'm going to the learning pool. You say, I'm going to the leisure centre to swim. Yeah? And so the same here. People were coming to the pool of Bethesda, and whether they were in the one pool or the other, it didn't matter. They were there for one reason. And the reason was that the waters got stirred, and the interpretation was that an angel stirred it. Whatever caused, we don't know what caused the water to stir, but whoever was the first one in got healed. Amazing. Great number of people. It's a bit like the local hospital, isn't it, if you think about it? Lots of people lying around in corridors on trolleys, but not on trolleys in those days, but on the stone around the pools. So they were just lying there with this vague hope of healing, this sort of one in a 
100 chants, one in 200 chants. And that wasn't happening every day. It was only happening from time to time. So they never knew when it was going to happen. And then we find Jesus going up to this man, a particular man, an invalid. He didn't walk. He was one of the paralytic. And as he approaches this man, we don't know how Jesus knows, but the scriptures say that Jesus knew this man had been there a long time. He'd been there 38 years. When you have an illness, you always hope it will go away quick, don't you? Because illness and other catastrophes affect our lives. They affect our lives in quite a deep way sometimes. This man, if you think about it, there was no welfare system. And so this poor man is reliant on others, both to get him there, maybe to provide him with some food, maybe to cook. He's very weak, his muscles are wasted away. And he's got little hope. And often he may have got used to being ill. Isn't that a strange thing to say, really? Yeah? You get used to being ill. And some people almost find a part of their identity in their illness. Oh, I've got whatever it might be. ME, whatever it might be. I've got this. I've got a label. I now know who I am. I'm suffering from this illness. And I think that may have been true of this man. I am a paralytic. There's not a lot I can do. I'm going to the pool with the hope of being healed, but there's not much chance of it. And it's quite difficult um, to change in that situation because if you were healed, just think of all the changes that man would have had to have made. Yeah? He would have to get some employment. All sorts of things he would have to do. And then along comes Jesus. But he doesn't know it's Jesus. Just some bloke rolls up and presents himself in front of him. And he asks a question, a very simple question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Very good question, isn't it? Because if you don't want to get well, what's the point? Most people, I hope, if you were suffering from a chronic illness, would say to Jesus, yes, please, heal me now. I really need healing. But he doesn't say that. He gives a politician's answer. He gives the answer to Jesus, do you want to be healed? His answer is, well, I've got no one to get me in the pool. I need someone to do that for me. Oh dear, I'm waiting for the water to stir. Nothing's happening. He actually says how he can't be healed because he's got a problem. He can't get in the pool in time. He doesn't say yes, please. The man's answer, though, in some senses, implies that he does want to be healed. There's a method in front of him, isn't there? Get in the pool first, you get healed. I think that's a danger when we think about healing. That's just a warning if you ever read any of the miracles of Jesus. I'm told by some book I read that there are 41 healing miracles in the Gospel, whatever the number is. There's lots of healing, but can you tell me how many are exactly alike? Very few, isn't it? If you think you've found a method to bring healing to somebody, I think you're relying on the method and not the Lord. Because the Lord needs to speak to us 
and tell us how to pray, how to bring healing to this person. You remember Jesus did all sorts of things, didn't he? He used saliva, used mud, <laughs> just spoke to people, all sorts of things to bring healing. And so we move to the healing, and what's the healing say? Get up! Pick up your mat! Walk! Well, if there's three things this man can't do, one is get up, the second is carry a mat, and the third is walk. So how does he do it? Because there is no mention explicitly in this passage of him exercising faith. But I think this is the small amount of faith he exercised. He just heard Jesus say these commands and he knew in himself he couldn't do a thing. He couldn't get up, he couldn't pick up his mat and he couldn't walk. But what did he do? That small amount of faith with the power of God. Because remember when the woman who was bleeding for 12 years got healed, Jesus knew power had gone from him. Yeah? The power of God entered into that man and in obedience to Jesus, which is part of faith, he got up. He picked up his mat and he walked. Tremendous miracle. The man couldn't do anything, but his faith meant he did. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus has the power and authority. I just, just let us just think for a minute, just marvel at how gracious God is to this person. Our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. And so we go to verse 9. We get to the next stage and we get John telling us the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Uh-uh. Jesus had a few other problems on the Sabbath, healing other people. Remember one time he said, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or not? He asked the people who were challenging him. Yeah? And this occasion he tells us again, this is happening on the Sabbath. That once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to him, to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Uh-uh, that's wrong. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where it says, and there's lots of laws, as you know, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all over the place that they were following. There are no laws saying, do not carry a mat. Okay, there are laws saying, do not do any work on the Sabbath. But it's the rabbinic interpretation of those laws that had led to the one that says, you can't carry your mat. Yeah? So in fact, he wasn't breaking the Old Testament law, he was breaking the interpretation of the rabbis. And they find the man carrying the mat. In verse 11, it says, the, it is the Sabbath, the Lord forbid you to carry the mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So he couldn't have really been sinning, could he? Because who told him to pick up his mat? Jesus. Would Jesus have told him to sin? No, he didn't. 
And the next verse says, so they asked him, who is this fella who told you to pick it up and walk? They want to identify the person who has caused this man to be picking up his mat. And the problem is, of course, the guy doesn't know who the heck it was. I think that's often a good sign in healing sometimes. You get these sort of superstar faith healers all over the place who are usually after, <laughs> often after money. Yes, God will bless you if you invest in whatever. But Jesus just had slipped away. Jesus didn't want the glory on himself. His glory was to his Father, glory to God. Yeah? I think it's good that people, when we pray for healing, the people are irrelevant almost. It's God who's the one who uses us to bring healing. I think the other thing I want to say about that verse is it says, who is this fella? Now, if I said to you, who is Jesus? What do you actually think when I ask you, who is Jesus? Is he your friend? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? Is he someone I'll sometimes pay attention to, but not a lot? Is he the one who perhaps I'll occasionally worship or occasionally obey? Or is he the Son of God? And if you believe in him, you will get life and abundant life in his name. That question of who is Jesus decides whether we're going for eternal hell or eternal life. It said at the end of the passage, didn't it, about quite shocking words, isn't it? That then when the resurrection comes, there'll be some who go to life and some who go to death. And then we come up with a warning. Because Jesus finds him later on. Just as Jesus took the initiative in the healing process and went up to the man, the man didn't approach Jesus. In this case, in the temple, again, Jesus walks up to him. And he confronts the man and he says, see, you are well again. Pretty obvious, really, he's carrying his mat. He's, <laughs> maybe he's dropped his mat by that time, but he's, he certainly picks up his mat, he's walking, he hadn't been walking. See, you are well, pretty evident, really. But then this rather severe warning, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Can you think of what is worse than being ill for 38 years? Anybody got any ideas? Well, that's a very good reason. I think that's probably what he's saying, yeah? In other words, he's saying to the man, there's something worse that might happen to you, is judgment, and not a good judgment, not a positive one that comes to life, but a one that leads to death. And so he has to stop singing, or something worse may happen to him. He may even get afflicted again. And so I just want to bring out sort of three things or three questions that this passage raises about this healing. First one about sin. Have you ever thought about sickness and sin? Because to me, it all started in the fall and our disobedience as mankind, that the root cause 
of all this stuff, mortal, physical death, sickness, a ruined creation, whatever, is all down to us turning our back on God through Adam and Eve. But the problem is, the Jews had a different opinion. They thought that if you were ill, you must have sinned a particular thing. You must have done something wrong. That was the way they automatically thought. You can find that um, in Job's comforters, if you remember. Dear old Job, Jesus, uh, sorry, God says about Job that Job is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And what happened to the man who's upright, blameless, shunning evil? What happens? He loses his children. He loses property. He loses his health. All this happens to a man who is not sinning, who is not like that. So they kept saying, well, Job, you must have done something wrong. Well, Job, you must have done something wrong. You really must. And it goes on and on if you read Job. How many times those poor comforters, the best thing they ever did, as we all know, is sit there with Job for, I think it was seven days, was it, I think? Or certainly a week. They sat with him and said nothing. Kept it still. Just being with him in his presence was bringing comfort. When they opened their mouths, they were accusing him of sin. I think there are a clear illustration in John chapter 9 verses 1 to 3, that the connection between a particular sin and sickness is not automatic, as the Jews thought. Because in John 9, it says, verse 1, As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him. So this is even his disciples think this, that someone must have done something wrong. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus' reply, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So it's quite clear that there's not the connection that says every time you get sickness, you've done something wrong. That's not true. I think, though, in the 20th century in this country, we fall into the opposite habit. We never think we've done anything wrong if we fall sick. We think, oh, it's just a bug. <laughs> it's just something else that's caused it. Something in our body's gone wrong. Uh, nothing to do with me. I'm not to blame. I've got nothing to connection. I think we fall into that problem, that we never think there's a connection. And I think the Bible says sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. And usually there isn't, I believe. But occasionally, the way we have gone leads us to ill health. However, when we are laid aside, what do you do when you're laid aside? Do you ask God questions like why? How long is this going to go on? A bit like Job did as well. Are you wondering what's going to happen? Or do you spend your time because you've been set aside worshipping God and praying to him and communing with him. 
no catastrophe happening to you does not mean you don't have sin to turn from. Second point I want to just quickly make is faith. I think one of the worst things that anybody can say to people who are not healed is you haven't got enough faith. Yeah? Because it never is true, I don't think, right? partly, and certainly it's not Jesus' practice. You see, Jesus commended faith. Think of the story of the centurion and his servant. Jesus starts to go towards healing the centurion's servant and the centurion sends further people to Jesus and says, don't bother coming, just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus says, I've never seen such great faith in Israel. So Jesus loves faith. Jesus loves us trusting him. Jesus loves us hearing from God and stepping out in obedience. Yeah? But on the other hand, there was also the woman who was done by the bleeding for 12 years, who reached out, if only I could just touch the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. So Jesus does commend faith. However, that faith does not have to be ginormous. Before Jesus healed the boy possessed by the spirit that had left him mute, this is what the conversation went like. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What sort of faith is that? It's very weak. It's very doubting. But what did Jesus do? He released the boy from the spirit and he was healed. So the amount of faith is not the critical factor. I do believe you need to respond to Jesus. But certainly we don't need ginormous amount of faith. Finally, the question, why did Jesus only heal one person at the the hospital, basically? He went to the hospital in the pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida, and he only heals one person. Why are not everybody healed who we pray for? Could be today's question. I think part of it is a mystery. This man had no merit, this man who was healed. He couldn't earn his healing. Jesus could only do um, for the man with his grace and his love. And the final thing is in verse 19 and 20, we read this. Jesus gave this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. You see, Jesus could only do what he saw his father doing. And his father was calling out to that man to be healed. We don't understand why other people aren't, but Jesus healed. Jesus, it's not Jesus' lack of compassion, is it? It's not Jesus' lack of grace. 
but somehow he chose that man. One thing is certain, I believe, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you ever wonder why you actually are well? (laughs) Just think of all the systems in your body that are working without you thinking a little iota of a thought. Oh, I must breathe now. Oh, I must beat my heart for another one. Oh, I must pump the blood around the things. Oh, I must uh, get the digestive system working. Do you think any... We never think about it, do we? How fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we break a bone, all the doctors have to do is put the bones close to each other and you get new bone. Amazing. All healing comes from God, I believe. Whether it's medical, whether it's uh, medication, whether it's your immune system or whether it's a miracle, as it was in this case. One final verse. Whatever you feel about healing, I believe God can heal. And in in Revelation, we have this hope. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So even if we do get healed and we have more time on this planet, there is a greater hope, isn't there, of that certainty of no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Does God heal today? Well, there's a bit of an alpha course that answers that question, so let's just listen to that. It's chosen that moment, as it? (laughs) (laughs) 